welcome to episode 61 of Reading with Rory, the podcast where three friends discuss the 300 plus books on the Rory Gilmore reading list. I'm today's host, Sarah. I'm Erin. And I'm Liz. And today we are discussing the Breezy Beach Read, Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Oh, come on. <laughs> by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is going to be a tricky one today, you guys. Um, I love how you say that, though. That sounds Yeah, good. you're doing great. <laughs> All right. Dostoevsky was referenced by our second favorite English teacher, Max Medina, in Gilmore Girls Season 1, Episode 2, the Lorelei's first. Hold on. Am I your first? Wait, who's... Yeah. Liz. Liz is first. That should be self-evident. Okay, good. It was not self-evident to me. (laughs) No, it was super self-evident to me. I just wanted to brag. (laughs) Thanks, Erin. Well, I was thinking in the realm of Gilmore Girls, and I was like, who beats out Max Medina? Do we even know the name of another English teacher in Gilmore Girls? I don't think so. But I'm, I'm with you. All right. I'm good. I'm good. <sighs> All right. So before, <laughs> before we put our scuba gear on and dive deep into the fevered brain of our antihero, Skolnikov, we need to have some Friday night dinner. So let's talk about what we're eating. What are we eating today, friends? Well, um, I have been savoring a Five Guys hamburger with fries, and that's been making me very happy. Mm, savoring not just eating savoring i like that yeah well yeah (laughs) i mean so the trick with five guys i have learned is that you get the bunless burger you get it in like the lettuce wrap version instead and then you um then you can eat the burger and the fries and not feel like you're gonna have a heart attack because you're it just like balances it out a little bit so you sacrifice the bun to eat the fries and just feel kind of normal afterwards so that's my that's my trick with five guys. There you go. I like it. Liz, is that your you? hold on? Is that your trick for all burger things, or is it just five guys? That's well, okay, fair enough. Um, for most burger things now, I think it's I think I am morphing that direction. It's been a long time since I've had a hamburger with a bun. Like I would rather spend the carbs on other things at the plate instead of the bun. And sometimes the bun is warranted, and the bun is wonderful and adds to the burger. But I think generally now, yeah, I do go for a bunless burger and then I eat as many fries as I want. So it's not like I'm really like saving calories here. I just shift where the calories go. No, that's a good plan. You know, whatever like makes it's you very feel... utilitarian in the spirit of this novel. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, and it's all, it's all about not beating yourself up after because you could eat the bun and the fries and feel and, great. And I feel do fine, all the time, yeah. but like <laughs> maybe I'm just extraordinary. I don't know. <laughs> oh, we'll get there, Liz. What are you eating? Um, I am doing like. It, cheesecake factory style meal for myself here, but a little bread from the Cheesecake Factory as my uh, appetizer. And then I just made myself a taco. <laughs> but I had the bread from the Cheesecake Factory. It's a weird and meal. A taco. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a very, I'm home by myself and I need food and this is what I have in my fridge kind of a meal. I mean, it was, but I deliberately brought the bread and you Do heat it up a little bit. we have other kinds of meals anymore? And it's good. I know. I'm like, I mean, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> and then I had some chicken and some, I mean, it was, I'm happy with my meal. Don't get me wrong. It was great. Liz loves that brown bread from Cheesecake Factory. Well, it's it's like good. the reason to go. I mean, that's oh, all. Boy, that's true. Well, that sounds very tasty, ladies. I am having a, a homemade tomato avocado salad and it is very refreshing. Oh, wow. Yum. I know. So what is what is in a tomato? Is it just tomato and avocado? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> like mixed in pepper. a salad, like combined together. And, so. and, and some lemon pepper, but yeah, keep it simple. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, it's nice because I feel a lot of pressure with avocados to like, you have to eat the whole thing once you cut it open because you can't leave half of it in the fridge. It's gross. I can't, I don't love when it turns brown, even though it's probably still fine. So I like, I like things where I can eat the whole avocado in one, in one thing. Um, so it works out well that way. All right. We can't forget our new segment. Take that Jeff Bezos, where we learn about the bookstores where Aaron finds the books we're reading. We are all about throwing love and a little free publicity to independent bookstores. So tell us, Aaron, where did Crime and Punishment come from? 
Sure. So this one, I think we're in an interesting slew of books that I all got that I got from the same store because the seeds. You did it in alphabetical order. I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) I I can also tell that they're like the books that like Max Medina because the last three have all been like Max Medina first day references almost, Mm -hmm, right? Yeah. Uh And so you can tell they all just like stored together like they're (laughs) like an English teacher's like canon that's all well is, yeah the main the mainstays of the western canon are probably easy to find together <laughs> yeah um anyway so yeah i you, yeah you can probably tell where i was searching on the list in any one of these stores because it's going to be similar um grouping so this one came from the green hand portland maine which we have talked about before oh, i love that store mm-hmm. yep fun. Yeah. that's where lots of gems in that store not all not all bookstores have a great selection like in some of them are about like you know you get the um you get a smattering of the high school books that no one wants anymore with the like really quick like Danielle Steele Clive Cussler kind of books Mm -hmm. um and there's not a whole lot in the middle but then other stores you get like a much richer selection of the kinds of books that they offer. And I think the green hand is one of those, which is why a lot of these books show up from the green hand because they do have a pretty good selection. All right. Great. Okay. No more throat clearing. Let's get into it. Um, uh, as we were just saying, crime and punishment, one of the great masterpieces of the Western Canon. And I'm pretty excited to see where our discussion goes. Hopefully someplace interesting. Um, I'm guessing that for a decent number of our listeners, All they could tell you about Crime and Punishment is that it's an intimidating classic and maybe that it's Russian. Um, And so I think I don't I don't think it has like the same like the characters or even the plot other than that, that there's like a murder have like permeated the the culture right so because there's not a movie <laughs> we'll talk about that too um but hopefully we can settle I mean, there is a movie but there's not there's a actually movie. been over 25 movies um I know, but there's not a movie <laughs> hopefully we can shed a little more light on the characters and the i the capital i ideas for those who haven't attempted this one yet so um written by fyodor dostoevsky it was first published in russia in 1866 Uh, Similar to how we, you know, our discussions um, with Balzac and Dumas, it was published serially. That was the thing in the 19th century. So it was being published in a a magazine called The Russian Messenger uh, at the same time as War and Peace, I believe. They were being published in the same place at the same time. Um, Yeah. Uh, that could be that could technically be wrong, but I did read that. And if if they weren't exactly the same time, they were really really close uh, to each other, and they were published in the same place. I mean, they seem they seem contemporary yes. contemporaneous. So yeah, very much it. so. Um, yeah, they they Tolstoy and Dostoevsky were definitely contemporaries. They did not know each other, um, ran in very different circles, but they had an appreciation for each other's work. And I want to maybe get into a little compare contrast with them later, but first let's talk uh just main synopsis and i took this from a uh, writer james mustick i thought it was sufficiently colorful it says is life unfair is circumstance fate can we ever take the law into our own hands to change it fyodor dostoevsky's <laughs> i have to get it right i'm sorry fyodor dostoevsky's first major novel the original psychological thriller poses these questions in the tale of a man who enacts brutal crimes in order to break the strictures of his social destiny. For Radian Romanovich Raskolnikov, the handsome but penniless, quote, ex-student at the center of crime and punishment, the St. Petersburg of the 1860s is a cesspit of nepotists and shysters. He convinces himself it would be no worse off without a certain greedy pawnbroker. It might even be a better place if she were eliminated. Surely, he thinks, he'd use her money more productively than she does. Killing her would not only be a demonstration of his moral superiority, but an act of altruism for society at large. Not surprisingly, Raskolnikov's actions have consequences he does not anticipate, and in the aftermath of his murders of the moneylender and her sister, the reader is plunged into the roiling psychological weather that shadows a man so arrogant and deluded that he believes himself a sort of Napoleon above the laws of state and God. The ensuing storm engulfs his harried family, friends, and acquaintances, driving the plot through a landscape of cruelty, guilt, nihilism, love, poverty, and compassion that is as gripping as it is harrowing. That's a good one. I like that description. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's really good. That was really good. So, 
let's do it. What did you guys think? I want to hear, yeah, just your initial feelings, your initial take. Liz, you first. So, I mean, I read this book in high school and remember really liking it. And I'm, I don't even think I fully understood it as much as I came to understand it on my second and now my third read. But um, when I read it in high school, I just remember it, I remember things from it. So that alone should tell you something because that's been a long time for me. And I mean, I remember the idea, it was in my head as Superman and not necessarily like Napoleon. And so it's interesting that that kind of got transferred a little bit, like that whole, the nihilism, I don't think I fully understood it. I guess right. when I was in high school and I came to understand it better now than I think I did then. But the story definitely stuck with me. I mean, the plot, there's the his character, just like how he couldn't escape his, um, he couldn't, he couldn't escape that guilt. Like he committed this crime and no one knew it, but yet he felt like everybody knew it. And to me in high school, that was like, is a high school view like, yeah, that's how it is. You think everyone knows what's going on. And I, anyways, it was just a weird in my brain, like it made sense in my brain back in high school and I made it make sense for me. And no one really, we didn't read it as a class. I read it like by myself. And so I think if I had read it with a teacher, it probably would have been even better understood. Yeah. But, overachiever Liz there. Oh. Well, <laughs> highlighting I mean, her future profession. I guess. Whatever. Anyways, but then later when I read it with a book club, um, we read it at the same time as the Mark Hacking murder, which if you don't know about that, um, that was in 2005 and he was in Salt Lake City and he like murdered his wife and then put her in the dumpster and thought he got away with it for a while and like lied to everybody about it and then eventually confessed. And I mean, there was all these comparisons, but it was like really like right in the middle of that when that whole thing was just dominating the news. So we were talking about this psychological mindset of murderers. And to me, then I was like, oh, this is a dark subject. So anyways, as I read it, I can't remember. I mean, for me to remember all these emotions as I read it years and years ago, to come back now, it's pretty, it's, it was a, it was a different read. I think this time I wasn't quite as like swept away by the crime or by his poor, poor mind. I think I just was more swept away by the writing and the philosophies behind it than, and the characters like the, the, the side characters more than just, um, Raskolnikov. So anyways, that's a long winding saga of how I read the book a lot like the book <laughs> but uh I would give it a five I think it's really good you can't like it's just a good novel to me and it, it a great novel it's a great novel and he does amazing things with it and there's a reason why it is celebrated and widely read as it is and there's a reason why I remember it because to me that like makes it a five alone because <laughs> like when things stand out Liz that doesn't clearly, remember books she reads I don't like sometimes <laughs> things just don't really stick with with me and they I, they should but when they do that that stickiness to me is an evidence of like interesting I love that it's the stickiness that gives you the vibe and not necessarily like your current contemporary reading of it right but just the mm -hmm. fact that it's so I mean the contemporary read too for sure but because I mean we can get into it but I mean when uh later because it'll come up later I think when I talk about it but like I finished it and I couldn't like I th I've been thinking about it all week right like all week. I've just been on my brain. And that also doesn't happen. Like, I tend to move on pretty fast. Like, finish a book, start a new book. Finish a book, start a new book. And I just didn't do that, right? Like, I had to keep thinking about it. So I think that stickiness is in its, like, um, effect on the reader, too. So that's all right. it. I like it. Mm -hmm. um, five out of five. Impressive. Erin, what about you? Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I don't know that I'm going to go the five route, but I am probably going to go with at least a four, um, maybe a 4.5. The only reason I might not go 4.5 is just because you do have to work a little bit at the reading of this. I think like it's, you know, like I'm very impressed that Liz is like a high school teenager is like, I'm going to read Crime and Punishment. Um because I don't think I ever, ever would have done that as a teenager, even though I really liked to read. Um, but anyway, but I, so I read this, I also read this in high school, um, the first time through and remember really liking it. So kind of similar to Liz, I don't remember, I didn't remember the details quite as much. I remember that there was a murder and all of the like psychological stuff that kind of went along with that kind of state as a general 
theme for me. And whenever I would hear about this book, whenever people would talk about it, my reaction was always, oh, I really liked that book. Like I just have this memory of really liking the book. And so much so actually that, um, you know, years later when um, I went through like a phase one summer where I wanted to read a bunch of like classic works of literature. And it was the same summer when the uh, fifth Harry Potter came out. And I had started reading the Brothers Care, the Brothers Karamazov, which is also by Dostoevsky. And I had told myself that I could not read the fifth Harry Potter until I finished the Brothers Karamazov, which was great <laughs> encouragement to actually finish that book. Um, but the reason I chose that book was because I had remembered liking Crime and, and Punishment so much. And so I think it's interesting that, um, I, yeah, I think the stickiness of this story is a very interesting aspect of it because it does tend to stay with you more than maybe some of the other books a little bit <laughs> so um anyway i i don't have any reason for not giving it a five maybe so but i just don't feel well, like it tonight like what? <laughs> okay <laughs> you're just feeling so, petulant tonight I, so i'm um, kind of thinking so maybe we'll go for well because i don't know like this time around reading it I don't know. Did it I feel th- like I, a lot of work? You had to work at it? Yes, I did. And and it got easier. That's the kind of feel I'm getting from you. It's like, it was too much work, and that made it less enjoyable to read. Well, yeah, but not the whole thing, right? Sure, like, no. At, at first, it was, because I remember, well, as I started rereading it, I kept thinking, when does he murder the woman? Like, this is a, like, a huge part of this book, and the whole rest of the book is based on this murder. But it took, like, what felt like forever to get to the actual murder. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I think the fact that I felt like I had to work at it made makes me not want to give it a five. I think the impact of it is significant. I think the writing is incredible and the story is incredible. But, I yeah, I think the fact that I had to work at it means that I'm inclined to go, like, in the 4.5 route instead okay. of a five. Yeah. Interesting. I would actually say the exact opposite. I think it's the the work that it requires of you that makes it so good, um, and and maybe less like enjoyable. Like in the first couple chapters where you're orienting yourself, I can see that. But I think that it's especially going once you finished it and you go back and realize like how brilliantly it's structured and 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 creating this world and creating the world like the mind of this character is from the very get-go without like treating like they're he he doesn't treat the reader like they're stupid right like you um you have to you have to kind of like stick with it and and um and as you do more and more is revealed about his motives and about his state of mind and about his views on himself and like it all just kind of clicks into place the further you get into it and it's it's that work of pushing through it, which again, I admit the first chapter is like, oh my, what's going on? <laughs> but, um, it's, I just think it's just astonishing. And I had never read it before. Um, I didn't read it in high school. I didn't read it in any lit class um, in college or anything. And it's one of those books that's been on my list of like, you know, this is one of these capital G great books you have to read. So I guess I got to read it sometime and I just haven't gotten around to it. And, um, and I just thought it was, remarkable um and really like i don't know like you it's so complicated and i think it is telling lots of different stories and exploring a lot of different ideas all at the same time and they all complement each other and bring out different themes and different stuff it's doing exactly what you want a good novel to do and um and I just thought it was so, so good. So yeah. I did not disappoint, you know, after it lived up to the hype, I feel like. So I'm going to give it a five. <sighs> All right. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And and I think, actually, I just want to say something on the whole idea of having to work for it. Because mm-hmm. I, do, I do think it's important to note that, like, if it's too easy, then, like, there's no... There's like, no it has to strike the right balance, right? Yeah it, yeah, yeah, it has to strike the right balance. And so I think... I think that, and I think getting to a level where you can appreciate the structure, like you're talking about, Sarah, and appreciate the complexity of what's being written, like that is, that is, is truly incredible. And it's a great skill to, to develop. So, but, but yeah, I think that there's still for me, and maybe it's because my life has been so hectic with work and things like that lately that I've been like very mentally drained. And Mm -hmm. so 
trying to read a book like this when I'm already kind of mentally worn out, I think just kind of took its toll on me when otherwise I probably would have dived right in and really Uh. appreciated the challenge of, of reading it. Well, I think, yeah, you make excellent points. I think what was hard about the work on this book is that it's not really a plot. I mean, it's it's not mm-hmm. a plot page turner, right? So it doesn't right. keep Except pulling. in some ways that I feel like it, it, is in pla- in, it is in places. Like, it builds suspense well, in places, really effectively. Yes. Like, I think it builds suspense really effectively. Like, by the end, when he confesses, you're just like... <gasps> Almost well, panting, right. like, oh my gosh, like, once, you know what I mean? He's just, like, you've built up so much anticipation, and, like, that's what I think is in it, because you're right, there's not, it isn't, like, a, although sometimes, like, the chapters will leave off with, like, a mysterious person has arrived, or, like, a reveal that someone was listening at the door, so I feel like it does have, like, some components of, like, a cliffhangery, bestsellery, page turnery kind of a thing, but I think that, yeah, I think that it's, it's, um, it's, it's meandery while, like, not... Again, once you get to the end, you see how it all just kind of is, like, clicks into place again, yeah. So. Right. I mean, I think he just tells the story through his characters more than through events. And so, like, I think that that sometimes in a novel makes it sometimes harder to really read through in, like, not an easier way, but, like, it just doesn't necessarily, like, pull you through the book. You have to kind of pull yourself through. And yeah. that's not a bad yeah. thing. It's not, mm-hmm. And it's not like saying that the work isn't there or whatever. I just think it, that if there's a lot of descriptions and there's a lot of characterization, which there is in this book, then that's that's great. It just doesn't necessarily – like, when I read novels like this with my students, I – or I don't, but when I read, when I read novels. <laughs> That's ambitious. I know, I don't. But like when I read, you like my, especially for reluctant, not that you're reluctant, Erin, I'm not saying that. But when I have reluctant readers, I have to have a book that is like going to want to keep them reading so they're excited to find out what happens. And they're, the, the plot itself is so a mystery that it's unfolding. And mm-hmm. it can't necessarily just be like, oh, yeah, that character changed. I love that in a book, but like, or, oh, look, that character's not exactly what we thought it was. They want, I mean, there's just like a little bit more element of like, if there's events in it and plot that's building and building and building, then that sort of hooks people in more. And that's all. I don't think that there, that, that's how I'm saying. And I don't know, I can't really speak yeah. for your experience, but I don't think well, that there was anything I think that you're saying that, that you like, were engaged, but you sure, were, right? I, I, do, yeah. I do think it just speaks interesting things to to how it's written and how it's structured with the fact that you are into it and like and maybe because you already had that's the thing that's hard like I wonder how it would be for like a reader completely going in cold who doesn't know that there's a murder right like and so you're just like what's what's this guy like what's he about why is he muttering under his breath about is can he do this you're kind of a little Mm -hmm. disoriented because he's a little disoriented and it's you're just following this this guy around who's sort of like muttering and thinking to himself (laughs) and well and maybe your suspense was there sarah because you didn't know what like well is he gonna get away with this like i knew that there was a murder like and that i do think you know it's a it's a and I knew, and I, I, I knew that he went to a Siberian labor camp because I remember seeing it on like a TV movie once when I was in my, when I was in like junior high. So, um, and my mom was watching it in the kitchen. I'm like, that looks depressing. <laughs> so that's, that was literally all I knew was that was that there was an axe murder and um, and that the guy went to Siberia. So, um, well, and I alert. think, and, and I think that um, I think there is something to be said. Like I was having a conversation. Um, last night uh, with a friend about the idea of what we were talking about, uh, Christopher Nolan movies. And in particular, you know, my friend was saying that, like, it frustrates him because there's no plot development. There's there's no character development. There's not much. Anyway, we were talking about Tenant, right? And Tenant, for those of you who have seen Tenant, there is zero character development. Well, almost very little character development in that show. The The movie is not about the characters. It is, it is about the concept, not about the characters. And there's some character development just to kind of, but only in, in the sense that it relates to the larger concept. And my point was that I don't mind that because the point of a Christopher Nolan movie isn't necessarily to have these like 
well-developed characters who change over the time, who, who change over time. He's experimenting with concepts, right? He's experimenting with time. He's experimenting with space and with these different kinds of concepts and how you would film a story that involves those concepts. And so, and, and I'm okay with that because I think that that in and of itself is fascinating. So, you know, Liz, kind of to your point earlier mm-hmm. with this, right? Like I think there are different purposes in the way that different authors write their books. Yeah. And so, yeah, like you don't always need to have a plot heavy page turner of a mystery to keep you going. Sometimes the point of the, the, um, the experience is just to, it's just for him to go into the mind of a character, right? Like in this yeah. one, it's all about the character's mind and about the psych- the psychology cool. and the psychological development of this character. And that in and of itself is fascinating. So yeah, you have to work a little bit to get into that and to like put yourself in that world. But like I said, it got much easier for me to read it as time went on because I started getting into the story, into the character's mind and like really appreciating the way that this was unfolding um, and so, yeah, so I think it's, but you know, anyway, that, well, that's all I, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think, I think that leads to an interesting discussion of, um, of Raskolnikov's motive, right? Cause when you're, you're working through the novel and he's even from the first page, he's contemplating this, like something he's contemplating doing something and like whether or not he can go through with it and you don't know what it is and it kind of builds and builds and eventually you learn more and like there's things that kind of lead up to him feeling like compelled almost like like he hears someone talking about you know what time someone's going to be gone that means that it must be destiny that he must carry this out and you're but again it doesn't tell you like why he wants to to do it and it's slowly unfolding like what the nature of this crime he's contemplating is and then unfolding, you know, pushing him to like to have to like the courage to do it. And then and, he just does it. <laughs> and then he does it. And then you're kind of with him in the aftermath of that and the mental aftermath of that. And it's about at the halfway point when we, and there's so many things we could discuss up to this point, but this is what I really want to get into is there's a, there's a, a detective who suspects him Um, and is kind of playing some mind games with him because he doesn't have evidence, so he can't arrest him. But he's like, I'm pretty sure I know this guy's, like, something's up here, right? So he's acting guilty. He's, um, there's just, there's, something's not right with this guy. And so this is this character, um, Porfiry Petrovich, I think is his last name. Um, Yeah, Petrovich. I'll say it with a Russian accent. I just, I always think of it with, I, I just think of him as Porfiry. That's the thing with these Russian novels is every character has like seven different names and so <laughs> which one you choose to think of them as so um so yeah so they're having this conversation and there's so much tension as it's just like slowly unpeeling and revealing more and more about this motive that the reader doesn't know that like before the novel had even started Raskolnikov had written this article this like academic piece um that was published and he didn't even know it was published <laughs> that was called on crime and essentially laying out a theory that says like there's ordinary men and there's extraordinary men and like like napoleon right like he he literally uses the example of napoleon like someone extraordinary and great who the laws of man don't apply to them they can shed blood because what they're doing is accomplishing something greater and they're not just one of these like cogs in the machine that just exists to procreate and that's all like I'm not one of, and he, and like, to commit, so there's, there's situations that justify committing a crime because there, there is a greater purpose, there's a greater utilitarian purpose to this crime, therefore I'm fine doing this, right? And it's, it's such a fascinating chapter, it's almost right at the halfway point that like you're, you, you've learned this like new, like shed this new light on his thinking, while also they're like, playing this mind games because Raskolnikov's freaking out, right? He's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like this guy knows, like he suspects. He knows my me. motive. <laughs> he, he knows, he knows what's up. He's trying to get me to, like, he's trying to get me to confess. He's trying to, he's, you know, so like they're playing this like cat it's like and the mouse friends game. game. He knows that he knows that he knows. Yeah, that he knows. I know we know. Yeah, so um, <laughs> he, 
so they're playing this mind game with each other, like all this like mental fencing. So there's like this suspense there about like, oh my gosh, is he going to be found out? But also kind of blowing your mind like, what is this hot garbage that he's talking about? Like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And and I think, I just think it's fascinating, right? So apparently that was um, one of Dostoevsky's um, intentions in writing the book is kind of presenting this argument against this strain of thought that was popular in Russia at the time and becoming more popular. Um, and I just think it just really opened up so many interesting places that this, that this goes and opens up so many interesting avenues to um, Raskolnikov's psychology. Liz and I were having kind of a long talk about the book even before the podcast. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, Liz was, Liz was saying that it's, you know, that there's like this clearly some sort of something he's not right. Like you, someone who's committing premeditated murder like this isn't right in the head. And um, happy people don't kill people. That's yeah, happy people today. don't shoot their husbands. <laughs> and like, so is it so about my, another great work? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm full of them tonight. But um, I mean, well, my point to Sarah, I can say it, is that yeah. I just don't think that like he, it, his whole motive can't just be like him thinking that because he is extraordinary. He has to prove it and he can do this great act. Like, I think that you get to the point you're premeditate, premeditating what you're doing. You're going through it and you actually murder someone with an axe. That's not a stable person. And there's other, <laughs> there's other, other, other views into his world that show that he's not for necessarily sure. oh, yeah, stable. Sure. He's unhappy. He's like dropped out of school. He constantly refers to himself as an ex-student. He is secluding, isolating himself from others. Like there's just lots of signs that like we would call them warning signs. Now we see someone doing this. We'd be like, Hmm, is he okay? We should probably want worry about him. Right? Like mm-hmm. they start to have some grandiose theories that maybe don't check out a hundred percent because they're not necessarily like, I don't know, stable. So I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Like uh, to me, and that's for sure a part of it, but to mm-hmm. me it's a, it's a less interesting story. It's a less interesting concept if, if he's just if, unstable. If it, comes, <laughs> if it comes back to just like he, he, th- there's something not right. Like there's something like, like I think that there's some way more to ponder if it's like here's this capable, normal, rational person that has like, talk themselves into delusions of grandeur and it's like there's circumstances of of this like oppressive poverty and isolation which are self-imposed the isolation anyway and and are are like contributing to all this but like just the idea that like well he was crazy that's not interesting right like that 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 doesn't like that doesn't to me seem like the more interesting way to explore his motives that certainly that's part of it and like when he does eventually get convicted they do they give him a lighter sentence because they said he was under some and mental he does end up in like a, a hospital of his prison sure. right so hospitalized so uh, like I, I mean there there but i do see your whole idea of like his idea about himself the way like, he views himself him coming to terms with his own yeah. mediocrity and like just like, no, you are not extraordinary. You're ordinary and there's nothing wrong with being ordinary. Like, what makes you so special? Like, you get to be the one to stand on high and say, this person's a louse and I'm better than them because, because why? Because you went to college? What the hell? I don't know. I just thought well, that it, I don't know. Well, but I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm having a hard time seeing how you would divorce his, like, whatever mental illness he was dealing with from this like impression well, but, but of it, grandiosity. He doesn't have a mental illness. It doesn't. He the the, the novel doesn't explore that in any sp- explicit way. Well, but I don't know that it needs. I mean, I think it. I would be. I think I would be hard pressed to say that there wasn't something going on mentally here. Sure, and, I, I think. But he was, so I don't think that I don't think he has to explicitly spell that out for you or have some character declare him, you know, mentally ill. I think. Even even at the beginning of the novel, right? Like there there are episodes where he'll, where like the scene where he's walking down the street and he sees the woman who's like clearly been um, attacked or whatever, and he goes to help her and he he sees this guy over on the corner who looks like he's kind of waiting for this girl or whatever, and he has this whole moment of like no, like I want to save this person and you know and he gets into it the police officer and everything, and then as soon as it's over he's like wait a minute, what am I doing? Like, what's happening? 
why am I here? Like he, he definitely he has these, blinks in and out a different time. Yeah, he for blinks sure, yeah. the way he just like changes on a dime, right? And and I but I think that the exploration of that mental illness and, is is fascinating in the context of this larger or it, 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 I think it's all wrapped into one, right? Because sure. like he dives into the mind of this person and he's looking at he's you're looking at the world through uh, Raskolnikov's eyes and so you don't see, we, you know, you can see from your own view, like, oh my gosh, if I were dealing with this guy, like Liz was saying, you know, here are a lot of warning signs, but we're not seeing the world, we're not told to see the world through that lens, we're told to see it through Raskolnikov's eyes. So anyway, I just, I don't know how you divorce the two. Sure, I guess, I, I guess for me, it's, it's not that I divorce it, I think it's a both and situation, right? But for me, what's more, what's a more interesting thing to think about and to and to ponder about is is how could like a a regular person be brought to do this because i do think at the end of the day that's that's what he was and and i think it's also a commentary on his poverty and and the choices that people are brought to i mean that was his direct motive like i'm going to kill this woman and i'm going to use her money so i can go back to school and I'll become this great man from that. And and in his mind, it's completely rational. So it's interesting because, like, obviously, that's not rational when you're com- contemplating murder. But it's but in, in his head, it's it's totally like just kind of like a two plus two equals four. This is fine. Right. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to and and. And then when he realizes in the aftermath that, oh, no, like, <laughs> uh, that's where I think it shows that he is sane, right? That he does, because he does have a conscience. Yeah. And so, like. Well, he I, for sure has a conscience. And so, yeah. and but he thought that he didn't. Like, he thought that what that was, he he was destined for greater things and could therefore step over those boundaries and those obstacles. And then when he's realizing he couldn't, like, I just think it's more interesting to me to explore those ideas yeah. rather than, like. Oh, sure. He, he's a little, you know, he was a little feverish and kind of crazy right like that's not that interesting to me right well and when he starts to feel guilty right it isn't because he's crazy it's because he feels like he isn't as like when he starts to feel guilty and he starts to like really spin out which he does right like he starts he's he can't be he every person he's around he wonders if they know he starts doing things to like cover up or try I mean he it's just like it's all he can think about right it, it eats him alive basically I mean he's just yeah. eat, eating away at him and mm-hmm. so he finds in a very brutal way that if that's his theory that an extraordinary man can do all this and that there's no repercussions well he's experiencing some repercussions and that's his punishment obviously right um so I if there was ever a question if he was extraordinary he now knows he's not right, right. so mm-hmm. it throws that into his face in a very real way but it also just shows us like as he encounters all these people you're just kind of wondering and he meets all these people and then he does good things right he does all the, he he's charitable he helps yeah. people he's going to funerals he's he's giving money to people he's standing up for people he's trying to do all these things almost not in like in a weird motive too <laughs> like i think that there's some interesting motives there for that as for well sure. but mm-hmm. like he everything that he does after that really reveals who he is and his theory just existing shows how sad that that must be for him that's all yeah um speaking to um what he was what dostoevsky's trying to do as far as a commentary on like nihilism and 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 um utilitarianism which is what this extraordinary man theory is essentially Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. essentially is right and um and he i think he's trying to make this comment and um that that's just malarkey (laughs) as um as someone would say and i think that um it's interesting because i attended a, a a virtual a webinar um the other night, maybe I was just in like Russian literature mode, and um, and I actually Sarah channeled her English major. I did, mode. yeah, it was really fun. So, I, um, it or was wish she she was in English major mode. <laughs> yeah, I I um attended this webinar that was a, a presentation from a Russian literature professor, um, at Brigham Young University, and it wasn't put on by it was just like a put on by a local bookstore actually online, and and he was just discussing um, War and Peace, and 
discussing Tolstoy and how Tolstoy, um, he was making some broader la-di-da academic argument, but the, the thing that that jumped out at me how he phrased it and he was really funny and had this really dry sense of humor but um talked about like what are saying is like because Tolstoy is while he's doing it on a much grander scale than Dostoevsky right we have these huge epic battles and these um scenes that span the continent and it's just um whereas Dostoevsky's so interior and it's all like huddled in his brain and in this like one corner of a of a, of a town you know of so it's it's an interesting contrast, but they're essentially saying the same thing, which is that there's more, how he phrased it was like, there's more moral value in living an ordinary life. And like how he put it was just like, you know, like mowing your lawn and paying your taxes. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that, that this idea that you vaunting yourself to greatness that you think like that you, you are like, that there's, there's something inherently false in that. And well, you're and, only asking for disappointment a little bit because right. how can you control that? Right. I thought it was a really interesting, a really interesting observation. And I wondered, and like, and, and I, I was, um, listening to that, right. As I was reading the, the great man stuff. So I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is all just kind of cooking. And, um, <laughs> and so I think that's maybe why it stood out to me as much as it did. Cause I was like, yeah, like, like what I, I do like that. And, and, and Anna Karenina too, right? Like there's so much, um, you talk about like 11 out, like working in the fields with his, his serfs and like the dignity and the, and like just like the moral goodness that comes from that, as opposed mm -hmm. to these people that throw themselves out to be thought of as great. And um, and I think it's it's an interesting idea. Well, it's an interesting question. Like, what really does like how would you define someone as great? What makes a great person, or what yeah. makes someone great? Um, and I think Russian literature um, and history is definitely you know kind of obsessed with that it because is. It's so when you think about even how they nickname people like Ivan the Great or. Uh, you know, all the people, like, the great is named after... Everyone's the great. Catherine Peter the great, great, Peter the Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the, they they put that right after their name, right? Like, they want to be known as great. But, like, really, what does make a person great, right, is very... It's a fun, it's a fun and interesting question to right. And I think you explore. can look... You can look to um, other characters in the novel as an illustration of that. I was thinking particularly about Ramuzik, um, Ramuzikin. Or Sonia. Yeah, or Sonia. Razumikin. Razumikin, mm -hmm. thank you. I can, I'm like, I'm, I'm mixing it up and I know it's wrong, but I don't know how to fix it now. <laughs> That's okay. Do you know what? I don't even know their real names. I just like yeah, that Yeah, listen it out loud for the time. Like, that way off. <laughs> Rem, Razumikin, thank you. And, um, and, um, it, uh, like, he's kind of like this mirror inverse image of Raskolnikov, right? Like, mm -hmm. in that he's this former student, too. They went to school together. But he hasn't cut himself off from the world. And he's full of, like, he's just so, like, loving and giving and, like, open. And and just his, and he's not prideful in the same ways that Raskolnikov is, is has because we get such a window into Raskolnikov's brain and how he I'm just thinking of those scenes with him and and Porfiry where he's just like oh I see what he's doing I'm gonna do this and I'm like oh shut up well <laughs> in the scenes where you know he actually where where Raskolnikov thinks that he knows what he did whatever his name is Razumikin <laughs> where he thinks he knows and the reader doesn't know if he knows but it seems like he might right mm -hmm. but then you're like Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he is actually, like, a person who wouldn't suspect that about a person. Like, he knows that he murdered someone, right? And yeah. so you kind of wonder, does he know? Because his, 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 his views on the world seem so much more pure and um, good, I guess, that, you, that that wouldn't be something he would suspect of his friend, right? So I don't know. Yeah, like, I don't know. I do think it comes back to the isolation thing. Like, it's it, toward the end of the novel, Raskolnikov describes himself as, like, living like a spider, right? Like, he's just, like, holed up and alone and and um, not wanting to see or interact with anyone. And I do think it's that, it's, it's that state of isolation that really, like, does the most damage. Yeah, and that's why, it, in the end, that's why he ends up in that hospital. He can't even interact with the prisoners in Siberia, Right, yeah. he's so unhappy. Even there, they he can't he can't be 
associated with those people, right? He's just isolating himself. And he, it was interesting how much of, even as he'd like grown and changed and confessed, even in the epilogue, he was still kind of like, well, <laughs> like he was still kind of petulant and prideful. And it was kind of like his finally coming to Sonia, who's this like figure of, I feel like Christianity and, gen- mm-hmm. and essentially. Oh right? yeah, for and, sure. And like, um, and so in embracing her specifically and learning to love her, but also, the the christian ideas of repentance and redemption like it's it it only happens at like at the very very end i mean you talk about is that a little too neat yeah maybe but um yeah i mean the story ends pretty neatly (laughs) yeah yeah it does i think it's pretty controversial the ending right lots of people are like yeah okay (laughs) well i do think i mean it's been said and explored that like the story of how you view these characters or how maybe even how you view the end or how you view the book is like a form of a rorschach test right like for the reader so like if you look at it and you think oh i hate that end he should not have been you know like happy at the end or finding love that's too neat like maybe that reveals something about you and how you view what he deserves right Mm -hmm. or if you're viewing it as like i don't know i mean there's just i don't i mean i found it ultimately really hopeful and i like novels that end on a hopeful note because i think it's done the work yeah that it doesn't feel unearned well maybe the 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 rorschach part is that you think that he's redeemable and that he can find himself is he going to go off and become a good person is he going to get out of there and go and you know be great is he going to just lead an ordinary life and what like he's gonna be able to leave in seven years what's gonna happen are they gonna be happily in love in seven years like is that the rorschach test maybe right (laughs) like what's gonna happen now is the bigger question right so i don't know what do you guys see happening after he gets out of his (laughs) siberian prison prison hospital (laughs) his exile yeah um, I think it depends on how you view, I think, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Like if he's, if, if looking at this practically, if he really is dealing with like mental illness of some sort, then that's a much longer road, right? Like you don't, you don't just like flip a switch and tie that up in a bow and move on. Like, I don't know, maybe sometimes, but I think elements of that would follow him right like unless he i i don't know i don't again i I don't because for me like the the his mental health thing is like like the bottom of the takeaway for me and and i think it has more to do with like his his pride and his his willingness to to accept an ordinary life and and that he and sonia can live this ordinary life of and that she you know we didn't explore this but sonia was a prostitute right so like it was he was he was gravitating toward her because she had also kind of transgressed these boundaries, but but was so full of goodness. And I I feel like the sh- the novel like showing as he gets closer and closer to her and he confesses to her before he confesses to the police like that you know it's it's the sign as he turns to her and turns to what she represents that um, he's looking for a redemptive future. And I do think that. It's possible. I I think he has some more work to do, <laughs> but she, uh, she's there outside the prison helping him out. So like, yeah. I, at the very end, he looks out the window. He's had this dream about how a plague is taking over the world, and so that was kind of disturbing. In the end, <laughs> at the end, he's like, I have this dream about um, the plague. <laughs> There's so many and disturbing dreams. It's going to take over, and then all of a sudden, it's like he realizes he has to let go of his anxieties, and he looks out the window and he sees her, and he's like. I love her. And then the book ends. And so I guess the way I see it, my view right now is right now at this present moment is that, yeah, he, he is going to change, right? He's going to, they're going to, she followed him there. She had nothing going for her in St. Petersburg. And at that time she probably didn't love him either. Right? Like he was just her ticket, um, out of St. Petersburg or excuse to leave and someone that, you know, took her side. But I can see them finding kind of like their lost way together somewhere and just making a life in the Russian world somewhere, drinking some vodka. (laughs) Well, I do like how, so this is the last, last paragraph of the book, um, how Dostoevsky puts it. He says, but that is the beginning of a new story, the story of the gradual renewal of a man, the story of his gradual regeneration, of his passing from one world into another, of his initiation into a new 
unknown life. That might be the subject of a new story, but our present story is ended. So that's not the point. <laughs> is is kind of part of what I take away from that. Like, yes, it's possible, and we look to that with hope, but, like, the point of this story is what compelled him to commit this crime and what really, what does punishment really look like? I know that's not the point, but it's how it ended. So... <laughs> Sure, it's not the point, but at the same time, it it doesn't hurt to, like, want to write my fan fiction about what's going to happen next, so... I'm not saying it does hurt, I'm just, I just thought that was a, um, uh, a, a kind of an interesting little, just like, alright, but that's another story, and this, this story's done. Do we want to talk about, like, the sister and her marriage offers, and how... Oh that Lutz, all worked out Lutz and that guy he was so bad like th- those people like the, okay we can talk about this i think it's so interesting how the characters who are supposed to be good were really bad mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like what point is dostoevsky making there right because if this character is supposed to be really good but is like secretly like disgusting and, like, and a lecherous rape. person yeah. yeah like i mean all these elements of the book you're like ew who's this loser right and then i that part was disturbing yeah but there was um, there was um the whole like inner monologue of um dunya his sister mm-hmm. um and she had been kind of her she poor thing she had been like preyed upon by her employer and escaped him to get engaged to another guy that was a total like um just horrible horrible terrible <laughs> there were lots of horrible people that all seemed to know each other and <laughs> know the landlady and know sonia and know the the sonia's dad <laughs> like who was it was a small saint petersburg world that's all i'm saying um so this is what I, I this really stood out to me as i was reading it and it's um this is after like the family has kicked her sketchy um fiance piotr petrovich <laughs> to the curb and it's following him and it says in bitterly reminding Dunya just now that he had decided to take her in spite of the bad rumors about her Pyotr Petrovich had spoken quite sincerely and even felt deeply indignant at such quote black <laughs> at black ingratitude and yet when he was proposing to Dunya he had already been fully convinced of the absurdity of all this gossip universally refuted by Marfa Petrova and long since dropped by the whole little town which ardently vindicated Dunya, and he himself would not have denied now that he knew all that at the time. <laughs> Nevertheless, he still valued highly his determination to elevate Dunya to himself and regarded it as a great deed. In reprimanding Dunya about it just now, he had given voice to a secret cherished thought of his, which he had, which he had already admired more than once and was unable to understand how others could fail to admire his great deed oh sorry did i read that twice mm-hmm. anyway. you did uh, <laughs> but, like i believe he'd be doubly indignant about it yes so. uh-huh so and this is when he had gone to visit raskolnikov the other day he had entered with the feeling of a benefactor ready to reap his harvest and listen to the sweetest compliments and now going down the stairs he, he most certainly considered himself offended and unacknowledged in the highest degree um <laughs> was I mean, hold on. I mean, talk about someone thinking he's so great, right? Yeah. Like, someone who's carrying this, I'm so great. She, of course, will want to marry me. I'm, she's poor. I'm great. He wanted to have, and it wasn't even that. Like, I think it was more about control than, than money. But he says, um, for a long time, for several years already, he had been having delectable, delectable dreams of marriage, but he kept hoarding up money and waited. In deepest secret, he entertained rapturous thoughts of a well-behaved and poor girl. She must be poor. <laughs> very young, very pretty, well-born and educated, very intimidated, who had experienced a great many misfortunes and was utterly cowed before him, a girl who would all her life regard him as her salvation, stand in awe of him, obey him, wonder at him, and at him alone. How many scenes, how many delectable episodes he had created in imagination on this playful and seductive theme as he rested quietly from his affairs. Yeah, no, he's the worst. Like, that was even more disturbing than, in some ways, the murder scene. I know! I was like, whoa, I gotta go back there! Like, I just, like That's intense. Yeah. yeah, so, yep, those guys, they suck. And I'm, they, and one of them shot himself, and the other one just kind of got, like, what got what was coming to him, so mm-hmm. there you go. Crime um, and punishment, you know? There Although you go. Although that's, that's a little... <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, 
anyway, <laughs> um, with that tidy bow on it, thank you, Liz. We will um, we will move it's on. What to, I do to pop it's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is one of those books where the influence is so broad that it like seeps into everything. So it's hard to pick out only a few notables. Um, I was thinking that like could and probably should be its own podcast. Like someone else start that podcast. I'd listen. Like the, inf- you know, like how how we see um, that this was like the forerunner to all kind of like psychological thrillers and murder mysteries and Law and Order episodes, whatever. Or Not it could really. be a podcast all about people saying that they read Pride and Pre- Crime and Punishment, <laughs> but then like actually haven't, but like really quizzing him to see. So what's your favorite book? Oh, I really like Tell Crime and Punishment. Oh yeah. yeah? Okay, tell me your favorite part. And then they don't know how to do it, and you're like... The crime. Interesting. So, like, there's some punishment and a crime. Like, so one of my favorite novels is Crime and Punishment. And then everyone's like, ooh, look how deep and smart that person is. And then you bust them when they haven't actually read it. Okay, yeah, go on with your thing. Um, Anyway. Um, So... So, yeah, I would listen to that podcast. But anyway, <laughs> I also think, like, the other, the other thing that occurred to me is I was, like, thinking about, I'm like, where have I seen, like, I had, I, the funny thing is it occurred to me, like, American Psycho with Christian Bale, which I haven't seen. All I know is that, like, it involves a guy that murders people with an axe. So it seems like a pretty obvious call out. But um, there have been over, as I mentioned, over 25 film adaptations, uh, Russian, American, Japanese, Finnish. There you go. I would love to see the Finnish adaptation. <laughs> uh, British, Indian, um, just to name a few. There, there was a TV movie. I mentioned it before. I remember my mom watching it at one point um, and being like, "Yeah, it didn't. It didn't really reach out to me at the time." But it stars Patrick Dempsey of all people. <laughs> What? Yes. <laughs> as Rikolnikov. Yeah. Oh, stop it. Nope. Totally real. Like, and it has Ben Kingsley as um, uh, Porfiry Petrovich and uh, Julie Delpy as Sonia. And I think it takes some great liberties um, with, like, the structure of the plot. So to give it more of a plot to make it a more interesting movie because it's just so cerebral, right? I was telling Liz, I'm like, I don't think I could watch a movie with this unless it was, like, with the world's most amazing actor, like Philip so Patrick Dempsey, and, yeah, so like maybe like Philip Seymour Hopper or Daniel Day Lewis or something, but not Patrick Dempsey. And like, um, we looked up the trailer. I'm just gonna play you some of the audio because it's too good, listeners. You just have to. You just gotta hear this. Sorry. Okay, good. He went from totally geek to totally chic. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, for our Can't Buy Me Love uh, stands out there. Here we go. the landlady's i mean the pawnbroker's sister because that was like that was not intentional that was not intentional and Mm -hmm. i think it's what actually put him over the edge but that's okay we didn't get into that it's true Mm -hmm. yeah that's true we didn't talk about that part at all um actually there's too much to talk about it's so that's what's so great um Uh, what have i done what have i done what have i done (laughs) (laughs) i have another can't buy me can't buy me love reference that i'm not gonna say but i'm not gonna say it but i've seen that thank you thank you for that list (laughs) (laughs) i guess Uh, just leave that cliffhanger i know there's a lot insert your (laughs) never mind (laughs) cut it out just cut Um, that out so yeah, I that's that's all I know of as far as the movie. One thing that is notable, so Alfred Hitchcock was uh, interviewed by French director Francois Truffaut, and he said he would never consider filming it. And he explained that he could make a great film out of a good book, or even, or especially, a mediocre book, but never a great book, because the film would always suffer by comparison, um, which I think is a, a good insight. Um, and... 
uh, in a quote from the same interview, he said, in Dostoevsky's novel, there are many, many words and all of them have a function, Hitchcock replied. To really convey that in cinematic terms, substitute the language of the camera for the written word and one would have to make a six to ten hour film. Otherwise, it won't be any good. So that's what Alfred Hitchcock says. Sounds good to me. I mean, if he says it, it's true. So every, you can tell every director is like, I'm not going to try. Hitchcock <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's a pretty unfilmable story since it's so interior, you know. Um, and then it would ruin that podcast of people pretending they know what happens in Crime and Punishment. It's <laughs> true. All right. So now on to my favorite segment. What are we inspired to do? What did um, what did Crime and Punishment inspire us to do? I can't wait to hear what we take away. Liz, what about you? All right. Well, so as I mentioned earlier, I usually like pick up another book or something like pretty much right after I finish a book, right? So I'm like, next, right? The pile on my bedstand. But um, I didn't. I have not been able to, like, start another book yet, and I'm not sure why. Um, I, it, I I think I'm still thinking about this book, and it's just in my head, and I don't know that I want to be, I don't want to, um, how do I put this? It's kind of a dark place, right? <laughs> so I think I needed to, like, um, come, like, detox from it a little bit. And so uh, my steady diet of Hallmark movies the last couple nights um, probably helped a little bit. And maybe now I'm ready to start a new book that I got from the library today. But I think I just need to get to, like, a, um, a happier, you know, like, get, get, get this idea of, you know, murder and cold St. Petersburg and Siberia and <laughs> what that psychological, like, it does require some kind of self-exploration a little bit. And, um... I did that, and now I'm ready to move on and pick up another book. But uh, I guess what inspired me to do is not read another book for a little bit. Well, okay, that's big. That's big for you. Mm-hmm. That is big. Mm-hmm. Oh, well done, Liz. <laughs> yeah, I like I it. I guess. Well, what, well done, Dostoevsky, for mm-hmm. creating that sentiment in Liz. It's yeah, being like, like, whoa, hold, no other books can compare. I think that's yeah. also part of it, right? It's like it's going to disappoint right like it's hard to like oh this book's gonna be good i just read crime and punishment so <laughs> that's true come down with well, some really bad writing and then the bar goes back up again <laughs> well how about if you save save that discussion for our next step <laughs> uh, that's a that very too. good point uh-huh. like i really don't want to read yeah i mean book. i know i should be reading that but that's also something i don't want to do so <laughs> there's that okay, oh boy teasers Aaron. what about you um, well, kind of like I mentioned at the beginning, this I was curious to reread Crime and Punishment to see how it held up to when I read it the first time back in high school. And so along a similar vein, um, at some point when I have extra time, uh, which will probably be never, but <laughs> at some point I would like to go back and reread The Brothers Karamazov because since this book inspired me to read that one, I'd like to see how the collective experience, right, like of rereading them both later <clears throat> kind of stacks up. And, um, and that one, although that one's a little bit more like in the Dickens vein where you have like all these different characters who are doing different things. And it's not till the very end of the book that kind of all comes together. Mm -hmm. But, um, but even still, I think I would be interested to go reread that one and see, um, and just see what my impression was rereading that one a second time. Um, I like it. I haven't read that either. I'm not, I haven't been up on my Dostoevsky, you guys. So, um, I, uh, you know, someday we'll get there. I've when heard we all that, have free time. I've heard that actually his gr- people, when all my research it came um, for this, that uh, Notes from the Underground, I think, is supposed to be like his, like, that's the best one. So this is like the first of his, like, great novel period. This was like the announcement, like, look, I'm here and I write great novels. But then he um, topped himself supposedly with notes from the underground so maybe that's not what I'm inspired to do but also kind of I'm curious about that but um because I don't want to steal errands um, it's all right you can um what I think um it's left with me wanting to do especially as we're here in month whatever of quarantine and um and I'm feeling pretty isolated right um both like physically, like just logistically, and also pretty like spiritually and emotionally. And um, I think that's 
for a combination of, of factors, but, um, I want to do something more, you know, to, to put a stop to that. And I don't know how necessarily, like, (laughs) I don't know. I'm still just kind of in the, in the like spider sense, I guess, right? Like just hold up a little bit and like thinking about things. And I think that's not, not a good place to be in, um, as this book has illustrated so vividly for us. So I think, um, finding ways to connect with humankind is an important thing to do, especially in the pandemic. So that's what I'm going to try to do. Okay. So what are your thoughts about crime and punishment, dear listener? Come and find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Reading with Rory and let us know. Or you can join the conversation on our website at readingwithrory.com. Also, please don't forget to leave us a review and tell us and others what you think of our podcast. It does, um, it helps us find new listeners and, um, and helps us be better. So we appreciate reviews. And next time on Reading with Rory, we're going to be discussing the Crimson Petal and the White. And you can tell how excited we are for that. So no offense to whoever wrote that book. I don't even have it in front of me right now. So, um, so. All right. Thanks. Join us next time. Michael Faber wrote that book. Faber. Michael Faber. Thank you. Yes. Um, so now he, he's going to like have it flagged and he's going to be offended. So great. Totally offended. Sure. <laughs>